It's a great joy for me to be with you all today. I was able to be with you not long after Brother Lyle had first come to serve as your pastor, so many years ago now. But I'd known him from before that when he was at Ripley, known his father-in-law for many years. He was pastor at Jackson. So the three of us were West Tennessee pastors at one time, and now two of us are living in Middle Tennessee. But it's a privilege to be with you again today. And uh, as a representative of the Southern Baptist Convention Executive Committee, I want to say to you a special word of thanks. On behalf of more than 5,000 church planters over the last six years, who've gone into different parts of North America and Canada and planted new churches, you have been part of that. Each time you all receive your tithes and offerings at the church, your church allocates about 5% of that that goes on toward what is called the cooperative program, and it helps to do ministry across the state of Tennessee, but also all the way across the United States and around the world. Because in addition to those 5,000-plus church planters, More than 3,700 fully funded missionaries are teaching the name of Jesus Christ today in different cities and towns and villages in, in so many countries all across this world. And they're there. They're able to be sustained and do their ministry because of your gifts. So I want to say thank you on their behalf. And then as I think about the future, about new pastors being trained to be able to come and lead in churches and, and those, you know, where are the church planters coming from? And where are those others who are doing ministry? Where do they get trained? Well, they're getting trained in our seminaries. And more than 20,000 students today are being trained with one or more courses at one of our seminaries. And these seminaries are funded through your gifts. So you're a part of every one of those new pastors being trained, new churches being planted, and missionaries going, going overseas. And so I want to say a word of thank you for your partnership in the gospel. I also want to invite you to open your Bibles with me to Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18. Uh, we have two texts today. Uh, one of them is going to be Hebrews 11.1. One. I'll reference that a little bit later. But Luke chapter 18 is going to be our basic text. We're going to spend most of our time there. And as you're turning there, I want to ask a question. How many here have a situation in your life or perhaps in the life of a family member you just don't know how to pray for? You're just really at a quandary. I mean, Lord, I've prayed. I've told you everything I know how to say. I've, I've asked you again and again. And I just don't really know how to pray anymore other than just to say the same thing again and again. And, and sometimes we feel discouraged with that. Maybe it's a long-term illness. Or maybe it's a wayward family member. Or just maybe an unmet, unrealized hope or dream. I think we all know that real life is messy. Everyone here has either struggled with an unrealized long-term hope, or if you haven't yet, just hang on, it's going to be coming around the corner anytime soon. If you've had one of those unrealized, unmet hopes in your life, and you know there's another one around the corner for those who may not be there yet, say amen. It's real. Life is messy But the good news is that God meets us in the messiness of our lives. And He cares for us. We want to have faith. But sometimes we've resigned ourselves this way. Maybe Dad is so far from God, you sometimes doubt He'll ever change. Or maybe you have an illness that saps your energy and your strength. And just about the time you feel a little bit better, it rears its head again. 
Or maybe you have a daughter who's addicted to prescription drugs or a son who drinks himself into oblivion every weekend or a sister who seems attracted to a succession of losers or a daughter whose standards are so high you wonder if she'll ever find the husband she longs for. So here's how we think. I know God is all-powerful, so there must be something wrong with me. Somehow, He just doesn't seem to care about me or my needs the way that He seems to care about others. Some people, I, I look at them, and their life is just all together. And I wish I could be like that. And I still go to church. That's where most of my closest friends are. And from time to time at church, I hear something that gives me something to cling to for another week or so. But at the end of the day, I don't really know that God cares for me. I don't really know that he cares about my situation enough to respond to my prayers. So my life day in and day out is marked by quiet desperation. You'd be amazed at how many people that scenario describes. It was true in the day of Jesus, just like it's true in our own day. So I give you a word today. Listen to this parable from Luke chapter 18. The words of Jesus, very powerful words, beginning in verse 1. Then he spoke a parable to them that men always ought to pray and not lose heart. Let me read that again. We ought always to pray and not lose heart. So Jesus is giving the parable. That's the basic premise of the parable. And then he said there was a certain in a certain city a judge who did not fear God nor regard man. Now there was a widow in that city and she came to him saying get justice for me from my adversary. And he would not for a while. But afterward he said within himself though I do not fear God nor regard man. Yet because this widow troubles me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she weary me. Now hold on to that thought and go back up to verse 3. There's a widow in that city and she came to him saying. Very literally, the grammar of this passage in the original language is what's called an imperfect tense verb. And what it really means is that she kept coming again and again and again and again and again. And we see that unfolded when the judge says, she's wearing me out. She is wearying me. She is continually coming to me. And so in verse 5 he says, I will avenge her lest by her continual coming she wear me out. Then the Lord said, hear what the unjust judge said. What a, what a powerful statement. Hear what the unjust judge said. This guy who does not fear God, does not regard man, listen to what he said. And then by contrast, think about the Heavenly Father who does care. In verse 7, God shall, shall not God avenge His own elect who cry out day and night to Him, though He bears long with them? I tell you that He will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will He really find faith? On the earth. Would you join me as we pray? Father, we thank you for the power of the Word of God, and we know that every Word of God is true and every Word of God is perfect. But somehow or other, when we are reading the words of Jesus, it sort of rises to a new level of, of appreciation and understanding that 
the one who knows all about us, is reaching down to the very deepest and most basic needs that he sees in our hearts. And he's giving us a word for that. As we look at this passage today, I pray that you will pick our spirits up and cause us to establish a new pattern of life, a new pattern in prayer, and a new confidence that there is a God who cares about me. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. My message today is very simple. I actually have an introduction, then an exposition, where we're going to look at the various pieces of the verse a little bit, then a little bit of application, and then a personalization. So those are the four movements of the sermon. First of all, in the introduction, though the word hope is not used in this text, the substance of the thing hoped for is found as the central theme. The widow kept coming and asking even when it seemed that her pleading fell on deaf ears. So there's the central theme. She kept coming and kept asking, even when the answer seemed far off. I mentioned three other passages of Scripture that deal with hope. Hebrews 11.1, perhaps you all know this. Some of you all may have memorized this verse. Very simple, short verse that describes what faith is. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. How many of y'all have ever heard that description of faith before? It's a very powerful statement. Now, we read the description and then we have to go, now what does it really mean? And I was struggling with that driving down the highway one day on the way to a funeral. And I was just sort of thinking through, in what way is faith the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen? As I thought about that, it began to dawn on me what that really means to me in my life is that there are some things that I am not seeing, but I'm to give thanks to God for already as if it already exists. So, Lord, I want to thank you. I want to thank you for that which is not yet, knowing that as I give you that thanks, it may become either in the way that I long for Or in a way that is even better. So to the unmarried woman, Lord, I thank you for my husband, whether you be he or there be another. But regardless that I find my contentment in you alone. Or the man with the lingering disease, Lord, I thank you for strength of life and length of days. Choosing to live every day to the fullest. And if you give me many days, really to live all the way until I die. To the parent with a wayward child, Lord, thank you that whatever her name is or his name is, thank you that she is under the watchful care of your spirit. I entrust you to you, her to you, that you will preserve her life until such a time that she reaches the end of her rope and finds her rest in you. Y'all been looking at the Who's your one? How many of y'all filled out one of those little who's your one cards? Somebody that you're praying for, your one, the person that, that really is on your heart and you're longing for that person to come to know Christ the way that you know Christ. So to the faithful witnesser, you know, the word witnesser does not exist in English, but it ought to because it's the ER, the noun form that talks about the one who does witnessing. So to the faithful witnesser, lifting up the salvation of your one, Here's the prayer, Lord, 
I thank you for the salvation of my friend. Whether he be drawn to faith through my witness or through the witness of another. Pray it each day. Some days when you pray that prayer, it will be with intensity and heavy heartedness. Other days it's going to be with a slow pause of unmet hope, but quiet confidence in the Father. And some days it may even be with doubt. Okay, Lord, I'm coming to you again. I've been praying this. I want to thank you for my husband. I want to thank you for my friend who's being brought, drawn to faith. I want to thank you that my daughter has been restored in you. I want to thank you for those things. But I've been thanking you for those things for days on end, and they haven't happened yet. And I wonder if it's ever going to happen. And so a little bit of doubt creeps in. But if you notice the title of the message is Scripted Prayer for Long-Term Hopes. What you're doing is you're praying again and again and again in the confidence that in the same way that the judge avenged the widow, God is going to respond to your faith. That's what I mean by scripted prayers. Just something brief, something short. You can pray again and again, and when you don't even know what else to pray, you pick up that and you say, well, this is what I've committed to pray, and you pray it anyway. British poet Alfred Tennyson wrote these words, More things are wrought by prayer than this world dreams of. Wherefore, let thy voice rise like a fountain for me day and night. And this is scripted prayer for long-term hopes. Lord, I lift it up to you again and again and again. And when we do that, we begin to experience such things as Lamentations 3. We read a progression of hope in Lamentations 3. Jeremiah lived at a time when his beloved city had been under siege for two years by, the, by a foreign power. Babylon, the armies of Babylon had come to besiege the city in 588 B.C. And now it was 586 and the city was about to be finally taken by the adversary. But for these two years, food was scarce. Water was a, a precious commodity. People were dying daily. Fireballs that had been catapulted over the walls of the city had landed and exploded. And rubble was here and there. And people's bodies often left unburied for days on end. As Jeremiah looked at the empty eyes of his fellow countrymen and women, he saw emptiness and hope and I'm sorry, emptiness and fear and despair. And in those in that context, he wrote these words in Lamentations three. He said, "My strength and my hope have perished from the Lord." But he continued to write. Remember my affliction and roaming, the wormwood and the gall. My soul still remembers and sinks within me. But as he's saying those words, he's realizing he's saying them to God. As he says them to God, something happens. He says, this I recall to my mind, therefore I have hope. And it's out of that context, these two verses that so many of you already know, erupted from his mind and through his quill onto the scroll when he wrote it is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed because his compassions do not fail they are new every morning great is thy faithfulness and as soon as he finished writing those words the very next words the Lord is my portion says my soul therefore I hope in him Psalm 38, 
And then 42 and 43, there are four verses that are very similar. You think about these and listen to how they are so close in their wording. In 38:15, in you, Lord, do I hope. You will hear, O Lord my God. Then in chapter 42, why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you disquieted in me? Hope thou in God, for I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance. A few verses later, listen again. Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him who is the health of my countenance and my God. And a few verses later in the next chapter, why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him who is the health of my countenance and my God. Do you hear the psalmist? He's saying, I want to be up. But I find myself down. And I want to be up. And I find myself down. And I want to be up. And I find myself down. But each time he says, Hope in God, O my soul. And out of that prayer, that scripted prayer, Hope thou in God, O my soul. Hope thou in God, O my soul. Hope thou in God, Oh, my soul, through that scripted prayer, he finds his spirits lifted up. The title, Scripted Prayers for Long-Term Hopes, is a title that comes out of some real-world experiences in my own life. Had a college roommate many years ago now in the 1970s from another country, from another religion. I witnessed to him. I was a fairly new believer myself. But I'd just taken a class in world religions at the university and I'd learned a little bit about his religion. And we would talk until late at night about the differences between what he believed and what Jesus Christ had done in my life. And I remember the, the one night he just said to me, he said, Sing, I wish I could have your faith. I wish I could do it, but I just cannot get over how the, the, the infinite God of creation could become a man and suffer and die on the cross for my sins. I just can't get there. And over these 40 plus years, I've continued to pray for the salvation of that friend from another millennium. Lifting him up to the Lord. And many of you have prayed for people like that. A long-term sustained prayer for revival and spiritual awakening that has been part of who I am ever since the 1970s. When I began to realize how desperate our nation is in need of an awakening of God. And I want to tell you it's even more desperate today than it was then. A 12-year ordeal with my dad. An 11-year scripted prayer for one of our family members. A seven-year prayer for neighbors of another world religion who have been closed to hearing the Christian message. But I want to lift up prayer for my dad as a specific illustration. Beginning with a series of strokes in 1988, another one and really a big one in 1990, my dad just sort of changed 180 degrees. Some of y'all have had that experience in your family. It was like a toggle switch got flipped and this man who had been faithful in church, memorizing scriptures, singing gospel songs memorizing the Word of God and tucking it away in his heart and teaching me that as a discipline of spiritual life. All of a sudden, he was a man I didn't even know. He left my mom, got into all kinds of unimaginable things. So I'm walking down Hawks Road one day praying for my dad, just really praying for God to restore him after all. And this was part of my prayer. I said, Lord, he was your son before he was my dad. 
And if you can't handle him, I know I can't. That's just sort of really where I was. As I'm walking down the road, a big combine was coming down the road, and I had to step off into a ditch, sort of overgrown with grass and weeds, and the combine went on by. But while I was standing in the ditch, it was as if an audible voice came to my heart and said, Now, son, you just need to get serious right now and recognize who you are and who I am. You're the created one. I'm the creator. You're the one who's coming in prayer, and I'm the one who is able to move and change things. I don't operate at your command. And standing there, it's almost like an argument, 15, 20, 25 minutes. It's like, well, Lord, now hold on a minute. I've already been praying about this for three weeks, and I'm ready for you to do something. Have you ever been there? And as I was standing there, I realized the audacity that I had to tell God on the timetable with which he must operate. And I just said, well, Lord, I don't know what else to pray. I mean, I've poured out my soul again and again and again. I've tried to help mom stepping into her life, getting her moved to a new place. All these other things have been going on. And it was like the Lord just said, son, what are the biggest needs? And you make those your prayer and just let me do my work. So I scripted a threefold prayer, and I began praying this prayer. I prayed it for 12 years. Now, after the fact, looking back, 12 years doesn't sound like very long because I can say I did it in 12 years, and I can say it in 30 seconds. I want to tell you, when you're on the front end of that, that is a long way into the future. And you don't even know when it's going to happen or if it's going to happen the way that you're praying. I said, Lord, here's my prayer, number one, that my dad will not be culpable in killing another person. Again, Dad had gotten involved in a lot of stuff. Secondly, that somebody else would not be culpable in killing my dad. I didn't want somebody to be responsible for killing my dad, to to go to jail because they killed my dad. And so, Lord, I, I just ask you to do those two things. But here's the third one. Here's the big one. Just like Samson. Y'all remember the story of Samson? He could have been the mightiest of all the mighty men of God, but but Samson squandered that opportunity. But the Lord allowed Samson to come back for usefulness for his kingdom one last time before he died. Do you remember the story? I said, Lord, in the same way that you allowed Samson to come back, would you allow my dad to come back one last time for usefulness for the kingdom before he dies? My dad had another stroke, a paralyzing stroke. We had to move him down to where we live, and we really had primary care for him for a period of a lot of years and those are some long, hard years. Some of y'all been there. You, you get it. And I'm praying that prayer every day, and I'm not seeing any signs of any change. Coldness toward God, anger. Lord, do I need to keep on praying this prayer? Yes. Okay. It's a scripted prayer. My dad rode a cart because of the paralyzing stroke. He could only use his left thumb, and he'd drive it a little cart around town. And one day I heard that cart. He came to church. He came again. I thought, well, this is good, I guess. He'd always come in fashionably late, make all kind of noise with his cart, go right down the main aisle during the service. And I'm like, oh, man. And one day during the invitation, I heard his cart start up, and I thought, okay. And he comes all the way down to the front. And the spiritual giant that I was, he came up and he said, son, took me me by the hand. He said, son, 
I want to rededicate my life to the Lord and my spiritual giant that I am, I went, okay, whatever. Y'all get how I'm saying that. Tongue in cheek. And Dad went back to his spot. I really wasn't thinking that God's going to answer the prayer. How many of y'all remember the story of when Peter got let out of jail? People were in the upper room praying for Peter to get released from jail, and the Lord just lets the chains fall off, the doors open up, the guards go to sleep, and Peter walks out. And when he gets outside, he goes, man, I thought that was a vision. It's not a vision. I'm really free from jail. So he goes to Rhoda's house and knocks on the door, and Rhoda goes, it's Peter. And everybody goes, oh, it can't be Peter. He's in jail. We're praying for him to be released. That's sort of how it was. Not just very shortly after that, my sister had moved back to northern Kentucky where we're from, and she had promised Dad if she ever did that, she would take him. And so on a hot August day in 2000, I moved all my dad's stuff up to north Kentucky. And I got a call from my sister a few weeks later, and she was crying. She said, sing. She said, you know that, that, that prayer you've been praying? Tell, tell me the words of that prayer again. So I told her one, two, and then three. She said, let me tell you what's happening. I don't know what's, I don't know what's happened. Dad's been witnessing to people there in the nursing home and the rehab center. He's led some people to faith in Christ, and Sheldon, her husband, is a pastor. Sheldon has baptized two or three of those people already. I'm like, are you sure you're talking about the same guy that I just moved up there? So I went up to see him. I walked in his rehab center room because he'd had another stroke and then had a heart attack. But I walked in his room. And as I'm sitting there talking to him, this woman comes in. Oh, Brother Roger, I want to thank you so much for praying for my daughter. Let me just give you an update. I'm like, wow. And then she walked out. Another person walked in. One of the nurse aides came in. Hey, Mr. Roger, I want to ask you to pray for my dad. And I'm sitting there thinking, this is a beehive of spiritual activity. How can this be happening? And God reminded me that He is the one who answers prayer in his timetable. And I sat back and realized the Lord had put a prayer on my heart standing in the ditch on Hawks Road many years ago to put into motion a string of things that in his plan and his timing would come to fruition. My dad had a final heart attack. I went up to see him the very last time. As I stood at his door about to leave, a little shriveled up body there in the bed I saw that God had done exactly what I had prayed that he would do. And I realized that's Luke 18. Luke 18, do you get it? Scripted prayer for long-term hope. That's introduction, exposition. Very briefly, you've already read the text, but let's just sort of walk through the text real fast. Again, the arresting statement with which it opens, men ought always to pray and not lose heart. Always to pray and not lose heart. It's likely that Jesus spoke many parables on prayer, for prayer was the atmosphere in which he walked. But we know of only two parables on prayer, this text and another one from earlier in the same gospel, Luke 11. And it's hugely significant that both of these parables on prayer stressed the need for steadfast persistence. In Luke 11, a man goes to a friend's house at midnight and asks for assistance to entertain some unexpected guests. And the guy goes, come on, it's midnight. My family's already asleep. Go back home. And the guy kept knocking. Finally, Jesus closed that parable by saying, if you, 
then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give, good, give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? And then Jesus said, So the one who knocks, keep knocking. The one who asks, keep asking. The one who seeks, keep seeking. What is the theme in that? Don't lose hope. Don't lose hope. Do you see it? And then here in Luke 18, it has these admonitions. A judge who feared neither God nor man, yet because the widow persisted again and again, hear what the unjust judge said. And that's what Jesus said. Hear what he said. Because of her frequent, continual coming and her persistence, I will avenge her. And then he says, shall not God himself surely avenge his own elect? You see, there are really only two options in the, in the believer's life. They're both found in verse 1. We either go and grow deeper with God in prayer or we lose hope. So we do this, we go deeper with God in prayer, or we lose hope. How many of you found yourself on the edge of losing hope? About the time hope seems to be just about to die. There's a little tiny flicker left, and then you realize who you are and who He is, and God breathes again into your heart, don't lose hope, don't lose hope. And you find yourself again wanting to pray, and you're not, I don't really know how to pray, God. I've already told you all the things I know. If you look at the story of the widow... She had a scripted prayer. In some of your Bibles, this text has a heading called the importunate widow. I remember seeing that in my Bible. I thought, what, importunate. I, don't, I have no idea what that means. How many of you all know what that means? Although I had to be unfortunate. It's the closest word I could come up with. But I looked it up. Importunate means to persist to the point of annoyance. And this widow is persisting to the point of annoyance. In lifting up the widow, Jesus revealed his tenderness toward the oppressed and the downtrodden. In his day, the widow did not have the kind of safety net security system that we have today. No Social Security, no Medicare, no Medicaid. And when a widow was bereft of her husband and the wage earner in her home, so often she became penniless and she depended upon someone else to be her advocate. And the one that she went to to be her advocate said, I don't care about you. And Jesus is showing that God does care. So coming out of the temple... On the Sabbath, there she was. Judge, avenge me. On his way to a friend's house for dinner, there she is. Judge, avenge me. Out on a stroll with his wife on the way to the market, there she is. Judge, avenge me. Do you hear the scripted prayer? She knew not else what to pray, but she said, this is the desire of my heart. And finally the judge goes, I am so sick and tired. By the way, the word wearied me literally is a word. She's given me a black eye. She's just bruising me. Tired of it. Okay, I'll do what you want. And the Lord says, how much more will the Heavenly Father? Oh, my friend, I want to let you know that God does care about you, but he calls us to come to him with importunity to bring our need again and again and again and again. In writing about this parable, a 19th century Irish pastor and poet named Richard Trench wrote, Prayer is the continual desire of the soul after God, having indeed its times of intensity. 
but not being confined to these times. And scripted prayer is like that. Lord, right now I'm in such an intense mode of prayer. I just don't know what else to do except to say to you, show me how to pray. And when I write those two or three sentences down, when I don't feel the intensity, I pray it anyway. I come to you again and again and again, and I lift up to you the need and the desire of my heart. A century later, American pastor George Buttrick put it this way, Jesus regarded prayer as the outpouring of human need. Prayer is a movement of our spirits to God's spirit, he wrote, as inevitable as a tide swinging to the rhythm of the moon. It is the instinctive cry of human need. At its most intense, it will resemble the clamor of the friend at midnight or the importunate plea of the widow before the cruel judge. Prayer must become the tireless beseeching before God can richly reward it. And human experience will sometimes afflict us with the fear that heaven is empty or unfeeling, that the only answer to our prayers is the answer of an echo. But Buttrick wrote in his book on the parables, there were only three ways of dealing with such a judge as described. He, he could be bribed, he could be bullied, he could be besought until he surrendered. And the widow had no wealth with which to bribe him, no power with which to threaten. So she pleaded even against Hope, avenge me, bring justice from my adversary. And Buttrick concluded, great prayer is marked by importunity. Now, interestingly, this parable follows immediately upon the connection of what proceeded in chapter 17. And there in chapter 17, Jesus had said, the day is going to come. Dark days, hard days, the end of time. when the, It will be as in, as in the days of Noah and the days of Lot. There are going to be tough times, dark times. And so as he's talking about those dark times, he says, the prayer comes out of the dark times. And he's addressing his own disciples. He's saying to the inner band that is going to be equipped to change the world, guys, you're going to go through difficulty. You're going to go through darkness. You're going to go through hardship. You're going to go through times of doubt. But this parable is for you. So there's our exposition. Briefly, let me step into application. In terms of setting, the parable teaches us to persevere not just when the sin-darkened world is closing in around us, but in any dark season we face in our walk with, with Christ. How many of us here face our own dark season of the soul? In fact, some of you may be in one right now. I came to church today and nobody knows the burdens I'm bearing. Nobody knows the care that is weighing heavily on my heart. And the Lord has a word to you for you today from His own lips, the parable of the importunate widow. And the hearers, the words of hope are as needed for us as modern day disciples, as followers of Christ in the day in which He lived. And the judge reminds us how much more the Heavenly Father, Jesus Himself, used a cruel Example, as the darkness against which the light of the care of God could be reflected. The father pities his children in every generation. Consider these few examples. Jacob wrestled with his angel all night, if you remember the story of Jacob, when he wrestled all night. And finally, 
He had a hold of the angel and he said, I'll not let you go. I'll not let you go until you bless me. And so he wrested from the angel a new nature and a new name. And he said, no longer will you be Jacob the trickster, Jacob the cunning one, but you will be Israel the prince with God. We see Elijah pouring out his soul before God. Oh God, please hold back the rain. Please hold back the rain. The people have wandered far from you. And you have said that when the rain is withheld, it will be a means by which the people will come back to you. Please withhold the rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain. How many of you are glad we got rain today? For us, it's only been weeks. And then when the people finally proclaimed the Lord, He is the God. Elijah went to the mountaintop and again laid himself before the Lord and said, Oh God, please send the rain. And he got up and had his servant go and look on the horizon and not a cloud. He persisted in prayer again and again and again and again and again and again. And on the seventh time, he said, Go and look to the horizon. The servant came back and said, Well, there's a cloud out there, but it's about the size of a man's hand. And Elijah said, gird up and run down because the rains, they are coming. You see, when we persist with God in prayer, we get to know him in an intimate way that there is no other means by which we can come to know his love and his compassion and his care for us. Daniel earnestly besought the Lord. His prayer was hindered by the adversary for 21 days. And even then the answer that was revealed would not take place for almost 500 years. The followers of Jesus tarried in supplication before the Pentecostal fire descended upon them there in Acts 1 and 2. And Paul besought the Lord three times that the Lord would remove his thorn in the flesh before he at length received not the removal of the tribulation but the sufficient grace which made the burden seem light. And did not even Jesus himself pray until his sweat became, as it were, great drops of blood falling on the ground? And he prayed, Father, if it be your will, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours. Father, if it be your will, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours. As we look to Jesus... We've sung about Jesus today. We've heard about Jesus. But at the end of the day, we know that Jesus came into the world not just to give us a great parable, but he came into the world to bear our sins, to die on the cross for our sins, that we might be saved through faith in him. And many of you, there's been a time in your life when you've realized that Jesus is the Lord of the universe. As the Lord of the universe, he has infinite capacity to take all of the sins of all of the people and Put those sins in his own body. And when he died on the cross, the infinite one became sin for us. That the full infinity of suffering that hell demands was placed upon Jesus. And he became my substitute, dying for me. That when I place my faith and trust in him, I am forgiven of my sins, given a new name, and adopted into the family of God. Has that happened in your life? That's the Jesus who is saying to you and me, men ought always to pray and not to faint. Know it because of who I am. Know it because of how I lived among you. But know it because I was willing to go to the cross. I was willing to die for your sin. I was willing to be buried. But praise 
be to the name of Jesus. He rose again from the dead and is alive today and wants to come and live in our hearts. That is the God who says to you and to me, bring your burden to me and I will bear it on your behalf. So in terms of personalizing, remember my title, Scripted Prayers for Long-Term Hopes. Notice again the grammar and language of verse 3. There's a widow in that city. She came, literally kept coming to him saying, get justice for me from my adversary. R.C. Trench, I mentioned a moment ago, quoted an English poet and preacher John Dunn from a sermon he preached in 1623 during one of the 40 plague infestations in London that, that culminated finally in the Great Plague. But he said this, The soul that is accustomed to direct herself to God upon every occasion, that whatever string be stricken in her, bass or treble, her high or her low estate, is ever turned towards God. And that soul prays sometimes when it does not know that it prays. Have you had those seasons when you don't know how to pray? Don't really even know what that you are praying. With the psalmist, your soul is cast down. Your spirit is disquieted within you. You know not, know not what to say or to pray. That is the perfect time for a scripted prayer to emerge from your heart and your lips. Whether it's prayers for a long, a long-term prayers for a family member in crisis or dysfunctionality, long-term prayers for a family member with continuing illness, long-term prayer for the lost person on your list, your one, long-term prayer for spiritual awakening, don't lose hope. Don't lose hope. And that is the underlying message of this parable. Don't lose hope. Can you say those three words with me? Don't lose hope. Let's say it together again. Don't lose hope. And some of you are thinking, well, why should I say that? I've already given up. Let's say it together again. Don't lose hope. The final four things on the slide, what we're going to look at is whatever your situation, don't lose hope. Whatever your situation, script a prayer. Whatever your situation, pray with intensity or without intensity. Whatever your situation, pray and don't lose hope. Oh, I want to tell you today that there is a God who cares about you and he has given you a parable and that parable is a word to you. Hear what the judge said. And if the judge who did not regard man, did not fear God, was willing to avenge the widow, how much more your heavenly father. Oh, good news today. Let's say together again three words. Don't lose hope. Father, I thank you so much for Jesus. Oh, what a wonderful Savior you are. Thank you that you came into our lives when we called on you to save us. You forgave us of our sins. You adopted us into your family. You really have given us a new name. We don't know what that new name is. But one day in heaven, we're going to see you and you're going to know us by that name of redemption. And, oh, Lord, I thank you that you've put our feet upon a rock and you've established our goings. And today I've tried to lay before these people one of the parables that you yourself have given us. There's a parable about prayer, a parable about hope. It's really a parable about when we don't even know what to say. 
You can give us a script, a very short few words. And whether it's in a time of intensity or a time of doubt, we can draw from those words and lay our needs before you. And we know that you will hear us, that you will answer us. We don't know the timetable, but we know the promiser. And the promiser is the one who has said, Come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Oh, Father, today may we leave this room with a renewed confidence that we can pray to you and you hear us and you care about us. And may we not lose hope because our hope is fixed in Jesus alone. In the powerful and precious and holy name of Jesus and all God's people said, Amen and Amen. Let's stand together to our feet as we sing a, it's a hymn of invitation, a time of commitment. Maybe some of you need to come here just kneel at the front and say, I, I've got this situation, Lord, and I don't really know what to do with it. But I'm going to ask you to give me just a few words, a script that I can pray. Maybe some of you need to come and say, Brother Singh, there's never been a time yet when I've trusted Christ. But today I want to open up my heart and receive Jesus Christ as my Lord and my Savior. I want to know the the Jesus of that parable. I want to know Him personally.